Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva Paper Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. A daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America first perspective. Streaming live on iHeartRadio. Available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast directories. And you can follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. I love to hear from listeners. You can shoot me an email. The address is rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. The number again for the vent line is 772-245-0750. Man, why do these networks do this to us? They had the... National Championship game on last night, and of course they started in an hour that uh, will ensure that it drags on past midnight, Um, and everybody wonders why they do that. I I know why, and I resent it. They want to drag you out of prime time hours where their ad rates are are the highest uh, and into the, uh, the late night hours where their ad rates fall a lot. And, uh, and take advantage, but, um, what a game, what a game. I'm not going to uh, talk about the score because a lot of, uh, people I, I, I expect, uh, DVR it and want to uh, finish watching it today. So no spoilers here, but I did, uh, enjoy the president, uh, coming out at the beginning of the game. It was sort of an awkward, uh, uh, choreo- choreographed, uh, event, but, uh, the, the assembled crowd in the Superdome in New Orleans was uh, very welcoming and very hospitable. Gave the president a lot of love. A lot of love coming to the president last night from the normies. In stark contrast to what we saw up there in Washington, D.C. when he went to the World Series and, and got booed every time he shows up at a football game uh, out in the heartland of America. Uh, he is uh, wildly received and uh that ha- happened again last night it's good good to see after all the abuse that uh trump takes in the swamp there in washington getting out in the heartland and uh and being welcomed so warmly even by people who are not uh, waiting in line for his uh his rallies so you know the uh, the democrats are suffering the hangover uh from their week-long criticism of Trump killing the terrorist Soleimani that uh, that actually veered over into uh, what you would have to say are sympathetic and and mourning treatments of the death of Soleimani. Uh, They're they're trying to uh, push all of that down the memory hole. 
They were all about, uh, yes, uh, Soleimani was a bad guy, but he was loved and revered by the Iranian people, and killing him makes uh, America less safe. I've got a, um, uh, a montage here of Democrats and mainstream media talking heads mourning the death of Soleimani. We were before Donald Trump acted. This is and was an enormous escalation. Taking out a bad guy is not necessarily a good idea. It's difficult to convey how revered he is. He's regarded as personally incredibly brave. The troops love him. By killing Qasem Soleimani, the U.S. has stripped Iran of an inspirational military leader. In life, Qasem Soleimani was celebrated as a military commander. In death, he's being saluted as a hero and a martyr. The impact of his death profound. The emotion just as powerful. The supreme leader of Iran weeping and praying over a coffin draped in the Iraqi flag. You know, in all of those reports, there was very little mention of the fact that Soleimani was a, a blood-drenched terrorist who, who murdered Americans, who murdered his own people, thousands of them. He, uh, he was over-advising the Iraqis, uh, and, and they were trying to de- uh, determine what they were going to do to deal with the Shias and their protests in the street. And Soleimani says, we know exactly what to do. You turn off the internet and you kill them. And the fact that the, the Democrats and the mainstream media couldn't muster up more condemnation and more scorn, completely appropriate for Soleimani because they, they thought that they could damage Donald Trump is just, Oh, I guess you would call it a a, a, a a dramatic manifestation of their Trump derangement syndrome. Kevin McCarthy, uh, who will be the leader of the House if the uh, Republicans retake the House of Representatives in this upcoming election cycle, which I expect and fervently hope that they do, um, he pointed out that uh, it's really not appropriate uh, to follow any comments on Soleimani uh, killing with butts. Anytime I hear a Democrat talk about him and say he was bad, but then use the word but, yes, I question it. There is no but when it comes to Soleimani. He was bad because, not but. He was bad because he killed more than 600 American soldiers. He was bad because of the attacks and the American citizens he killed. He was bad because he went after our embassy. He was bad because he was planning to kill more Americans. So no, I never use the word but when I refer to him, and I don't think any other American should either. And if they do, I'll question him on his as well. Well, there are no buts when it comes to Suleimani because Suleimani got his butt blown off. He also got his arms and, and legs blown off. And, uh, and as I say, you know, now the Democrats, uh, without apology, without uh, any introspection, are backing off their condemnations because it's become quite clear in light of the, the uh, celebrations and the protests over in I- Iran that Soleimani was not this beloved figure. Yes, the mullahs were able to turn out probably a million people in the streets, but you got to remember that it's a police state, and and uh, millions of people in Iran rely on the government for their sust- uh, for their income, just like in the United States. Can you imagine if um, 
in order to keep your federal job, you had to turn out in the street for a protest, the federal government of the United States would uh, absolutely be able to turn out a sea of federal employees, and it's much the same as it is in Iran. But our mainstream media was uh, perfectly willing to play right into that narrative that Suleimani was a beloved figure despite the fact that he mowed down protesters, his own people, in the streets of Iran. And this went on for a week, and now... uh, I got to I got to believe that the Democrats and the mainstream media are f- sort of feeling a hangover. I guess at this point they have no shame and they'll probably move right on to the next topic. But but all of this is coming to light because we're no longer slaves to the media when it comes to information. We're able to to get first-hand accounts like this one from a uh, Iranian American named Sugar Kashari who talked about how Iranians really feel about Suleimani? I feel like we're living in the twilight zone, guys. I'm I'm completely outraged at this notion that the propaganda machine that is the media is glorifying Qasem Soleimani. Do you people know that this man has not only the blood of Americans on his hands, but the blood of Iranians, Iraqis, Yemenis, Afghanis. I mean, since when did we start mourning the death of a terrorist? I mean, seriously, I've had like friends on the left, both Iranian and American, um, attack me for echoing the rhetoric of my people. The people in Iran are happy. The people in Iran are happy that this man who was responsible for the slaughter of so many people is gone. Like, where was your outrage last month when the regime slaughtered 1,600 kids for peaceful protests? Where's your outrage for the thousands of political prisoners that are in Iran right now? Where was your outrage when the Hashtashabi took over the American embassy and like vandalized it and killed an American contractor. Like, I, I just, I don't understand. So I'm sorry if I'm, I'm ranting, but my, you know, who cares? My opinion doesn't really matter, but for, for the, you know, in the interest of those that have reached out. Well, your opinion does matter. And that, uh, that video, uh, that she posted, uh, received thousands and thousands of views uh, opinion in this country is made by uh, about a 5% population that are interested in these things and then share their views with people who are less interested. And as I say, uh, it is such a great development that we're no longer totally dependent on the media uh, that is left-wing and become just a mouthpiece for the Democrat Party. We can get our opinions uh, directly uh, from social media uh, without the left-wing filter that the media applies. And we've seen uh, brave student protesters in the streets over there burning these billboards that the mullahs had put up praising Suleimani, uh, stomping on images, you know, with these uh, of these posters of Suleimani, and demanding uh, that uh, the Ayatollah Khamenei step down 
because of uh, of the suppression and the terrorism that uh, that that their regime is engaged in. So during Suleimani's funeral, we were treated to chants of death to America in the aftermath of Suleimani's funeral and the unsanctioned and unorganized actual organic demonstrations. We heard death to Khomeini. And so the media has now moved on. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're focused on whether or not Donald Trump should have consulted Congress before killing Soleimani, which is obviously an absurdity considering what we've seen in the last three years with the constant leaks designed to damage Donald Trump. Many of them actually, you know, made up. Can you imagine what, uh, what the Democrats Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib would have done with this nugget of information. Adam Schiff wouldn't even had to leak it directly. He could have just mentioned it to one of the fifth column inside our U.S. Congress. And on the news shows, it's become whether or not there was an imminent threat. We know that Soleimani's got a history of attacking American interests and, and killing Americans, but but they want to talk about whether there was an imminent threat Maybe Donald Trump should have taken the time and, and given Soleimani a call and told him to stay there at the airport in Baghdad while he conferred with Congress. And I meet the press this last weekend. Margaret Carlson had the defense secretary, Mark Esper, on and was pressing him about this imminent threat. The specific threat that the president shared with Fox News about four U.S. embassies being under threat also shared with Congress. Why was there a difference? What the president said was he believed that it probably and could have been attacks against additional embassies. I shared that view. The head of the Pentagon on Sunday defended U.S. President Donald Trump's decision to launch a drone strike against a top Iranian commander. At the time, the Trump administration cited an imminent threat posed by Major General Qasem Soleimani. Over the weekend, Trump told Fox News, quote, I can reveal that I believe it would have been four embassies, but Baghdad certainly would have been the lead. I think it would have been four embassies, could have been military bases, could have been a lot of other things, too, but it was imminent. But pressed on this claim, Defense Secretary Mark Esper said he didn't see specific evidence of the same threat. Well, the president didn't say there was a tangible, uh, he didn't cite a specific piece of evidence. What he said is he probably, he believed. Are you saying there wasn't one? I didn't see one with regard to four embassies. What I'm saying is I share the president's view that probably my expectation was they were going to go after our embassies. The attack on Soleimani marked an unprecedented escalation in aggression between Washington and Tehran. And Democratic lawmakers and even some Republicans demanded to see a just for the strike. Democratic Senator Tim Kaine sits on the Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committees and received a classified briefing after the Soleimani operation. He said there was no mention of an imminent embassy attack. That was not told to us in the classified briefing, uh, nor was there a suggestion that multiple embassies were threatened. Um, And I think that was one of the reasons that the senators in the briefing were so unhappy. We felt that the evidence was far short of imminent threat. Last why does there need to be an imminent threat? We know that the threat is ongoing. Do you have to wait and give Suleimani the benefit of the doubt? Maybe he uh, he certainly suddenly turned over a new leaf. Maybe he decided that he was going to no longer target American military forces or, or embassies. According to this line of thought, the president has to wait until the, 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 uh, the actual attack is ongoing. Imagine if you adopted that 
philosophy before uh, 9-11. Well, we know that uh, that the Saudis have these terrorists over here and they're training, but, uh, you know, they haven't actually booked their tickets yet. So we're going to, we're going to wait until the threat is imminent. No, you err on the side of keeping Americans alive. And polling has shown that, uh, the American people by and large agree with the president that if you've got a, a proven terrorist with a long history of targeting Americans, and who has now escalated that to attacks on actual American embassies. You move to protect America, and you do what the president did, and he's taking a lot of heat for it right now. But last night, when he marched out onto that field in New Orleans, the American people, the normies in our society, showed that they're, uh, they are 100% behind the president's decision. On that uh, interview with Margaret Carlson, Esper went on to make the most important point. Well, the important thing is this. Soleimani orchestrated resource directed the attacks escalating up to the December uh, one that killed an American. He orchestrated the siege on the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. And he was planning this much broader plot in multiple countries that would be bigger in scale and that likely would have taken us to open hostility with Iran. In fact, a very, very senior intelligence community official said to us, that the risk of inaction is greater than the risk of action. To me, that is very compelling. Well, and the president has been proven to have calculated properly that the mullahs in Iran would not uh, escalate this into any kind of open hostilities. I believe the president should have taken out the the uh, the military batteries or the missile batteries that attacked our bases in retaliation and fell harmlessly on these uh, these runways but the president has once again been proven correct and to have calculated the risks and rewards and and uh successfully taken this murderous bastard off of the battlefield hey man have you got your three cigars from the mojo cigar series all these uh churchill size eight inch 52 gauge cigars the el jafe connecticut wrapper with a mild uh, smoke in the Handy J with a Habano medium spicy cigar or the Stags, this bold Maduro for the, for the mature cigar smoker. All of them are hand rolled by a Cuban American in Tampa Bay. And they're unlike anything that you're likely to find in your cigar store. Go to Mojo 50 and click on shop. Now get these three cigars for a donation of just $25 to Mojo 50 daily. Get the Mojo Five O Daily Cigar Series, and we'll talk about it when mine arrive. So, John Brennan, the disgraced former head of the CIA, who's under his term, um, not uh, not only under the Obama administration but in the George W. Bush administration, failed to uh, recognize the threat and remove Osama bin Laden. And after Osama bin Laden orchestrated the attacks on the World Trade Centers, took over 10 years to locate him and kill him, if you believe, in fact, that uh, that body that they sent to the bottom of the Indian Ocean was Osama bin Laden. I kind of do believe it, but I, I certainly question why we weren't allowed to get uh, graphic images 
proving that bin Laden had been killed, similar to what we saw of the pieces of Suleimani. But Brennan took to Twitter yesterday and he said, the gang of eight in Congress is entitled to all intelligence on the Suleimani killing. Real Donald Trump's lies, reckless jingoism, and incompetence disgrace the office of the presidency. Right-wing ideologues in the administration and media are steering Trump have put our nation in grave danger. The same guy that allowed the uh, attacks of 9-11. I think there were 18 hijackers. John Brennan, as station chief in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, signed off on the visas of 14 or 15 of the 9-11 hijackers. And you got to remember that this is the very same CIA director who now claiming that the gang of eight is entitled to know all intelligence did not share the fact that, uh, the CIA and the FBI under James Comey were spying on Donald Trump, the Republican nominee for president of the United States. So, <laughs> he says Donald Trump should have con- uh, consulted with the gang of eight before killing Suleimani, but he, during the months and months that the CIA was orchestrating this spying operation and this uh, wiretapping and use of undercover operatives against an American political campaign, never bothered to tell the gang of eight. Neither did James Comey, for that matter. And it has always amazed me that the CIA put a former communist sympathizer, or I should say um, the Obama administration, put a former CIA sympathizer, well, I'll get it right, put a former communist sympathizer in charge of the CIA. Here is Diana West author of a book called Red Thread on James Brennan's history, John Brennan's history. He told this story in September 2016. Okay. To a group, uh, it was essentially a diversity type um, conference or, or a meeting where he, I believe, was telling the story in order to encourage leftists to apply to the CIA. He was essentially using that kind of diversity as an example of, look, I got in the CIA, you can too. I really think that was what was driving this mm-hmm. story because you wonder, why would he bring this up? But think of September 2016, we are assuming Hillary Clinton is going to be president, I believe he was believed to uh, be the person who would have continued at the CIA in a Clinton administration. Mm -hmm. So you could look at it as a jobs fair pitch. Um, And he talks about going to the, uh, for his polygraph, his lie detector test, and having this sort of moment where he realized, I better tell the truth because the machine will record if I lie, and they said the question becomes, um, do you have any association with a group that uh, wants to overthrow the United States, something like that? And he said simply that, yes, in 1976, he voted for Gus Hall, longtime Communist Party USA leader, 
um, convicted by the Smith Act of trying to overthrow the country. He went on the lam. He served time. I mean, a convicted revolutionary, basically. And John Brennan voted for him in 1976. And... The thing that's interesting to me about his anecdote is he doesn't really go farther than that. In other words, he is still admitted to the CIA having made this admission in 1980. So it isn't even like, again, we can say, oh, well, long time, youthful, um, naivete. No, it's a few years later. He doesn't mention whether he was asked any other questions. In other words, did he have a follow-up question and... I mean, that becomes kind of an interesting attitude to explore at the CIA when you think of Christopher Steele, the confirmed socialist. Yes, with MI6. Picked up by MI6, John Brennan, a communist sympathizer being hired by the CIA. I mean, what does that say about our organizations right then and there? Peter Strzok, who grew up in Iran. And notice the media never pointed out the fact that the Communist Party USA, which still exists right there in Obama's hometown of Chicago, endorsed Hillary Clinton for President of the United States. They like to call Donald Trump a Nazi, but they never pointed out that the Communist Party USA is all in for the Democrat Party, and I expect that they will endorse whatever candidate they come up with this year. we got to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back, and we'll take a look at the election and what's going on on the Democrats right after these messages. Right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. So I was surfing around on the cable uh, yesterday, and I ran across Mitch McConnell addressing the U.S. Senate. And it's about a 15-minute long uh, opening that he just perfectly summarizes the Democrats and the media's response to the killing of Soleimani. And, uh, and then goes on to talk about the upcoming impeachment. And I've also said on this show that I'm not always the best messenger for this America First uh, movement. I do uh, my best. Uh, but when I can find people that are saying things more uh, precisely and, um, and effectively than me, I am perfectly glad to turn over uh, this, this air 
uh, to them and, and let them make the case. And, and that's the case here in this, this upcoming clip. It's a long clip. It's over 14 minutes long. And, uh, and Mitch McConnell is not, you know, the most dynamic speaker, but the content of what he says in this, uh, this address to the Senate is absolutely powerful. And, uh, and you'll want to listen. His leader, a traitor. Here's another. They're lying that our enemy is America. Our enemy is right here. The irony is rich, Mr. President. As Iran's master terrorist, Soleimani himself, led efforts to brutalize Iranian protesters who dared to challenge the regime. Just a few months ago, he boasted to Iraqi leaders, quote, we in Iran know how to deal with protests. Well, that violent approach is exactly why Iraqis and Iranians alike are now celebrating his death and denouncing the regime that he helped lead. I'm sure the Mullahs regret that Soleimani himself is no longer around to help intimidate and murder their own citizens into silence. These protests aren't limited to Iran either. Protesters are back in Iraq as well. Not phony, Iran staged demonstrations, but real. Citizens led protests across Iraq. Iraqis are demanding a government whose top priority is Iraqis' own interests rather than facilitating Iranian interference. Now, given the death and terror that Iran has wrought in the Middle East for decades, this kind of reaction shouldn't be a surprise. But strangely, strangely, it seems it has surprised many of our fellow Americans. Here at home, uh, many on the left and in the media have rushed to reflexively bring, blame President Trump and not the Iranian regime for the recent violence. After only the earliest initial reports, the Speaker of the House rushed to blame our administration for, quote, needless provocations, she said. And following Iran's shootdown of the airliner, one prominent House Democrat characterized the regime's violence as collateral damage resulting from America's actions, exactly how the Iranians themselves were trying to spin it. One Democrat running for president tried a similar embarrassing equivocation. He said the civilians that Iran had blown up were, quote, caught in the middle of an unnecessary and unwarranted military tit for tat. For several days, you could not open a newspaper or turn on the television without prominent Democrats and so-called foreign policy experts setting aside decades of Iranian aggression to imply or even say outright that America, not Iran, was responsible for the cycle of violence. That President Donald Trump was the real villain. So we are faced with a remarkable spectacle, Mr. President. Even under threat of tear gas or even gunfire, the brave people of Iran are themselves displaying more willingness to criticize their own brutal rulers than we saw in the initial responses.
from some Democrats and so-called experts right here at home. A remarkable spectacle, but a pretty sad one. I hope this can be a lesson to anyone who has let their domestic political grievances pollute their judgment of world affairs. It shouldn't take the brave Iranian people themselves to remind American leaders that Tehran has long been the force for bad in this situation and the United States is a force for good. So, as I've said, the president's bold action has attracted significant political criticism from Democrats here in Congress. Now it is the Senate's prerogative to weigh in on foreign policy, and I fully expect we will debate a war powers resolution from some of our colleagues very soon. I look forward to discussing the last administration's failed strategy that got us here. The Obama administration responded to Iran's violence and aggression with appeasement and retrenchment rather than pushback. I look forward to discussing the fact that senior military commanders did not just recommend the president take immediate action to disrupt Iranian plots against our personnel. They believed the U.S. would be culpably negligent if it didn't act to stop the plotting. Now, I expect some of the Democrats who have rhetorically embraced the intelligence community when it suited their political interests may now rush to criticize the career professionals. I look forward to hearing our colleagues who want to quibble over the word imminent explain just how close we should let the terrorists come to killing more Americans before we defend ourselves. Just how close should we let terrorists come to killing more Americans before we defend ourselves? I assure you, if the president had not acted to disrupt a deadly attack, I'm confident these same critics would have blasted him for failing, <clears throat> failing to protect American lives. <clears throat> Just a few days before the strike, the junior senator from Connecticut was blasting, blasting the administration for rendering America impotent in the Middle East. He complained that no one fears us. No one listens to us, he said. But naturally, after President Trump did take bold action, the same colleague has become a fierce critic for supposedly being, uh, President Trump for supposedly being too harsh, too harsh. Not exactly a model of consistency. Our Democratic colleagues were very happy to give President Obama wide latitude to engage in strikes where American lives and American interests were far less directly at stake than with Mr. Soleimani. But now, the same Democrats who embrace the Obama intervention say Libya, and for example, Libya, say it's a bridge too far for President Trump to respond with limited force to Iranian-directed strikes against American interests and personnel that have been escalating for months. Okay in Libya, not okay here. The double standards are literally head spinning. So, I expect the Senate will soon debate Senator Kane's War Powers Resolution. 
for a year now, I've wanted the Senate to go on record about our military presence and strategy in Syria and Iraq. I'm glad my Democratic colleagues may finally be interested in having that discussion rather than ducking it. I don't believe the blunt instrument of the War Powers Resolution is an acceptable substitute for the studied oversight the Senate can exercise through hearings, resolutions, and more tailored legislation. So I'll strongly oppose the resolution. And I would urge all our colleagues to consider what message the Senate should send to Iran and the world at the very moment that America's actions are challenging the calculus in Tehran for the better. We appear to have restored a measure of deterrence in the Middle East. So let's not screw it up. Now, on another matter. So here's where Mitch is about to get into the uh, impeachment issue. He's going to uh, lay out where we are now and how he intends to move forward and how Nancy Pelosi's attempt to try to dictate to the Senate that they engage in the same kind of one-sided, no-due-process uh, uh, practice that Adam Schiff did in the House. And the president is, uh, has said that he is not adverse to calling witnesses. If the Democrats want to call witnesses, he's all for it. And he intends to call Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And in fact, Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff themselves. So here we go back to Mitch McConnell on impeachment. On Friday, Speaker Pelosi signaled she may finally wind down her one-woman blockade of a fair and timely impeachment trial. It's certainly been revealing to see House Democrats first claim that impeachment was so urgent, so urgent, that they could not even wait to fill out the factual record and then subsequently delay it for weeks. Well, I'm glad the speaker finally realized she never had any leverage in the first place to dictate Senate procedure to senators and is giving in to bipartisan pressure to move forward. In terms of influencing Senate proceedings, this strange gambit has achieved absolutely nothing. But it has produced one unintended side effect. The Speaker's efforts to pre-commit the Senate to carry on an investigation with which her own House lost patience concedes that the House case is rushed, weak, and incomplete. Let me say that again. By trying and failing to get the Senate to pre-commit to redoing the House's investigation, House Democrats admitted that even they do not believe their own case is persuasive. Think about the message it sends when the prosecutors are this desperate to get the judge and jury to redo their homework for them. And think about the separation of powers. The House knowingly, knowingly declined to spend time on legal battles and due process that it would have needed to pursue certain avenues. But now, after declining to fight their own fight, they want the Senate to pre-commit ourselves to wage these potentially protracted legal battles on their behalf. 
They wanted senators to pre-commit ourselves to not only judge the case that House Democrats are actually going to send over, but also to reopen the investigatory stage and maybe supplement Chairman Schiff's slapdash work. In other words, the President's opponents are afraid of having the Senate judge the case they actually are going to send us. They're afraid of having the Senate judge the case they themselves voted on. That alone speaks volumes. A few weeks ago, in real time, many senators and legal experts tried to warn House Democrats that they were nowhere near a finished product. Nowhere near. That the articles of impeachment they had drafted were more like a censure resolution based on partisan anger than an actual impeachment based on careful investigation. The House ignored us at the time. They rushed ahead to meet a political timetable. But now they've spent almost a month conceding that their own case does not stand on its own and searching for ways to supplement it from the outside. This is exactly the kind of toxic new precedent that many of us warned about back in December. That Speaker Pelosi's House was not sending the Senate a thorough investigation. They were just tossing up a jump ball and hoping that the political winds might blow things their way. So here we are. The Senate was never going to pre-commit ourselves to redoing the prosecutor's homework for them. And we were never going to allow the Speaker of the House to dictate Senate proceedings to senators. House Democrats have already done enough damage to the president, to national unity, and to our institutions of government. The Senate will not be sucked into this precedent-breaking path. We will fulfill our, <clears throat> we will fulfill our constitutional duty. We will honor the reason for which the founders created this body to ensure our institutions and our republic can rise above short-term factional fever. The House has done enough damage. The Senate is ready to fulfill our duty. So Mitch McConnell, I know a, a lot of people have bad feelings about Mitch McConnell because he has been almost completely worthless when it comes to securing our borders. Uh, he has been a, a, a tool of big business and their unquenchable desire for cheap labor. But uh, this is just the moment uh, that Mitch McConnell uh, is valuable uh, to our movement because he is he's not going to play games he's not going to allow the democrats to uh, to whip up a fever in the senate and try to uh, forward the sham impeachment effort hey have you uh, have you kept all your resolutions so far it's about the middle of january now and uh, a lot of resolutions have already been uh, violated, and I hope you're not giving up on them. Just because you uh, you stumble at the start doesn't mean you can't finish the race. If you want some help, there's a simple proven way 
to remove the, uh, the negative thoughts and mental blocks that are keeping you from achieving your full potential and living your dreams. Everything you ever wanted but been, uh, been unable to achieve is available to you if you can overcome these self-limiting beliefs. And one way you can do that is by biofeedback or, or neurofeedback. It's a simple way to reach your potential by removing these negative thoughts that are holding you back. It's employed by the Department of Defense, the Olympic team, special forces, in order to achieve optimal results. And you can in, engage in this kind of bio-neurofeedback by calling one 888 That's one 424 6543 or you can find them online at Neurolife Holistic. Let me say that again, newlifeholistic.com. That's newlifeholistic.com. Mention Mojo Radio and you'll get a 50% discount. Of, uh, I'm sorry, a $50 discount. Man, I was up late last night on that game. So a lot of uh, speculation is broken out about what exactly is Nancy Pelosi up to? Does she have some sort of overarching strategy? Why did she rush these articles of impeachment only to then hold on to them well into the new year? And I can tell you exactly what's going on. Nancy Pelosi wanted the specter of impeachment hanging over the nation as people went home for their Christmas holidays. She's the, the, the Grinch that stole Christmas because she wanted to hang this dark cloud over the nation in order to try to damage Donald Trump. And then she held on to these, these articles of impeachment that we were told were so urgent that they couldn't wait till, uh, the Congress returned after the Christmas break. And people are wondering exactly what is her calculus? What has she got in mind? And there's, there's three theories that have broken out. And that is, One, she wanted to hold these articles in order to keep uh, Joe Biden's opponents off of the campaign trail in the run-up to the Iowa caucus. There's, what, there's three senators. Cory Booker dropped out yesterday. So there's three senators still left in the Democrat nomination process. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Amy Klobuchar. And according to this theory... What Pelosi is doing is she's going to have them uh, sit in the Senate chambers listening to these articles of impeachment instead of being out there on the campaign trail running against the Democrat establishment's chosen one, Joe Biden. Here's Kaylee McInerney explaining this theory. It doesn't matter what that poll says. Bernie Sanders won't ever be the nominee for one reason. The Democrat establishment won't let him, Stuart. Uh, The DNC rigged the election against him in 2016, and now Nancy Pelosi might be rigging the election against him, holding those articles of impeachment, conveniently turning them over to the Senate to keep Bernie out of Iowa, to keep Elizabeth Warren out of Iowa, trying to rig the election again. So it doesn't matter what the polls say. And Amy Klobuchar, who is uh, most likely... Uh, to take votes away from Joe Biden because all of the the Marxists, the so-called progressives, are going to be voting for uh, either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Amy Klobuchar was probably going to take a few points from Joe Biden. Well, there's another theory, 
There's actually two more theories, but uh, according to this other theory, Nancy Pelosi withheld these articles of impeachment in order to allow all of the Democrats to uh, to attend this debate that's scheduled for tonight. So she said uh, now that she's going to with uh, release these articles of impeachment and deliver them to the Senate this week. But we know the Democrats are going to be debating in Iowa tonight. And according to this theory, she withheld them in order to allow all of the Democrats to attend this debate. And, of course, there's still another um, theory, and that is that Nancy Pelosi is withholding these articles of impeachment for as long as she can to see if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is able to recover because she wants the specter of impeachment hanging over Donald Trump's head in case another nomination to the Supreme Court comes up. And uh, the, the biggest proponent of this theory is Sebastian Gorka, who uh, appeared on a, uh, a podcast recently to discuss it. Levin talked here last night, addressed us at the gala for, for, for right. Tony Point USA. And he, ra- I mean, he is, he is, you know, there's a reason he's called the great one. There, there's a reason he worked in the Reagan administration, DOJ. He's a constitutional scholar. He's a genius. And he came up with this very uh, interesting explanation. It's okay. very dark. Very okay. dark. Um, he said in response to a question, they rushed through this impeachment for one reason. So now they can have the vote. They can stretch out the transition to the Senate trial for as long as they can, which is what they're doing with Nancy's decision today not to forward the results of the vote, which is unheard of. So for this proviso, they are deathly worried that in the next 320 days, something happens to Ruth Bader Ginsburg or another member of the Supreme Court resigns or what what have you. And they Uh want to say, oh, Donald Trump can't nominate a Supreme Court justice. He's under impeachment. He's about to be tried in the Senate. It's devilish. It's truly devilish what's happening right now. Well, the best support for that particular theory is, in fact, that Nancy Pelosi held on to these articles of impeachment until after Ruth Bader Ginsburg made the announcement late in December that she had been uh, determined to be cancer-free of the pancreas uh, cancer. You know, that always struck me as kind of odd that we were told that uh, Ginsburg had stage four pancreatic can- pancreatic cancer, which normally is a death sentence. And now, a couple of months later, we're told that uh, as a result of radiation therapy, she's cancer free. I've never actually heard of that before. Well, I mentioned back there that uh, Cory Booker has now dropped out of the race. Spartacus is no longer in the presidential field. I didn't know Spartacus was such a quitter, but he has failed to make the last two debate stages because he can't get enough, uh, raise enough money or or um, reach 2% in the polls. And you'll recall this is uh, Cory Booker during the Brett Kavanaugh hearing declaring himself appreciate the comments of my colleagues. This is about the closest I'll probably ever have in my life to an I am Spartacus moment. So Spartacus has dropped out. No more Spartacus. On Twitter, they were saying Spartacus is now Departicus.
Spartacus! I'm 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 Spartacus! I guess that was the rest of the Democrat field uh, claiming the mantle of Spartacus now that Cory Booker is no longer carrying it. And so now what we're treated with is after being told that uh, this was no time for old white men, that white people needed to step aside and make way for the emerging uh, Democrat majority, we're left with a bunch of uh, old white people, mostly old white men, and billionaires on the stage representing uh, the the Marxist Democrat Party. So it turns out, who knew, that old white people are in fact the better um, Marxists than these young people of color. I guess uh, Focahontas can still claim to be a Native American and, and add a little bit of diversity to the, uh, to the debate stage. There's going to be six candidates on the upcoming debate stage tonight i'm not sure no uh i think they'll all be white every single one of them there'll be a couple of women up there and uh, and the four four old white men including two billionaires there's going to be more billionaires on the debate stage than there will be in this very very diverse field so uh, Dinesh D'Souza was appearing on Laura Ingram's show talking about the Democrats and their diversity shtick. I think you're quite right that they began with a diversity parade. You had two groups of people, uh, the ones claiming to be diverse, uh, Buttigieg, I'm gay, um, Cory Booker, I'm black, Kamala Harris, I'm black and a woman, so I'm a twofer. Uh, and then the other candidates like Elizabeth Warren and others, uh, Beto, uh, aspiring to be diverse and, and pretending to be diverse in ways that they were not. So it was a diversity parade and a diversity charade. Uh, and then it all kind of imploded and all these diverse candidates kind of showed that they had lack of gravitas. They were downright silly. They fell away. Uh, and now you've got this kind of uh, old white guys parade that's left over. Um, now, look, the strongest candidate against Trump is going to be somebody who has to assure the country that they can keep the country safe, that they can protect a strong economy, even while protecting yeah. uh, the welfare state. Uh, well, I did forget about uh, Mayor Pete, the towering uh, figure of the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is still on the debate stage, and I think he's actually leading in Iowa. But the uh, the other diverse members of the Democrat coalition uh, expressed them their unhappiness with Pete Buttigieg at one of his campaign rallies in Iowa. A Black Lives Matter demonstration broke out right there in a Pete Buttigieg campaign rally. And it turns out that Black Lives Matter is not on board with a gay candidate for the Democrat nominee. It's it's like a soap opera over there on the Democrat side. And we'll, we'll report back from the Democrats' debate tomorrow. And I hope you'll join us right here on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful... The Hyundai Santa Fe is, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. 
Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva Paper Towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home.